I'm Jana Marin, and you're listening to More to the Story, the podcast that's all about creative nonfiction and the power of sharing your personal story. Tell me a story, tell me truth, I want to know what happened to you. The stars are all out and the night is so blue, tell me a story and I I'll tell mine to you. Welcome to the very first episode of More to the Story. I am so excited to be sharing creative nonfiction, true stories, and the writers who create them. It's such an honor to be talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, telling true stories, and finding the courage to share those stories with the world. Creative nonfiction is a huge passion of mine, which is why I started the literary magazine Under the Gum Tree, which is now in its fourth year of publication. And today, I'm pleased to introduce you to a writer who is a previous contributor of Under the Gum Tree, Katie Sargent. She is a recent graduate from the Stone Coast MFA program. She is a freelance nonfiction writer who dabbles in screenwriting, and she lives in South Portland, Maine, with her husband, two daughters, and three chickens. Katie's essay, Long Play, was published in the April 2014 issue of Under the Gum Tree, and she's one of four writers we published last year who have been nominated for the Pushcart Prize, which is perhaps the most coveted literary award. Before we get, we get to the interview with Katie, here she is reading an excerpt from Long Play. At one point, my father's record collection exceeded 600 until the early 90s when our basement flooded and a good portion was ruined. He'd been heartbroken. I remember sitting on the stairs, wanting nothing more than to swim in my new indoor pool and then looking up to see, for the first time, true sadness on my father's face. His jaw was tight in a way that made me feel uncomfortable. I'd asked him if, he could, if I could please just dip my feet in and he'd snapped at me, unable to focus on anything but the soggy lumps of cardboard he was tossing into the trash. He threw out many of the injured pieces, but some were too precious for him to let go of. So he dried them and kept a special shelf of records over his workbench. This day, at my parents' garage sale, I pleaded with my father to keep his collection intact. I told him that he was giving away his identity. My dad was famous for trapping people in his music room and showing them his albums. Just one more song, he'd say, and then, okay, okay, just this last one. You're gonna like this, I promise. My cousins, uncles, and boyfriends, would often be stuck in the basement, politely nodding and tapping their feet while the rest of us sat upstairs eating dinner or watching a movie. Don't follow Tom into the basement, my mother would joke. You'll never come back. First timers in our house weren't greeted with hello, but with seriously, no matter what he says, don't go down those stairs. I myself had been trapped plenty of times. I'd go down to put something on the laundry pile and then on my way back, He'd cut me off at the bottom of the stairs. Come in here, he'd say. I want to play you something. Even as a child, I recognized the disappointment he'd feel if I simply walked away. He believed that in his tiny room on his plywood shelves, he had something special to share with the world, and he couldn't understand why no one wanted to spend their time in a damp basement, sitting in rickety wooden chairs, just listening to music. I remember sitting on my father's lap when I was very young, as he read me record sleeves like they were storybooks. 
I'd squirm and beg him to release me, but he'd hold me tight. Do you remember who this is? He pointed at the picture with care, circling a shaggy-headed man. Of course I didn't. I couldn't remember my own address. Stuart Copeland. He'd enunciate the words like he was reading to me from a Dick and Jane primer. He played drums for the police. My father had snagged some of my mother's decorative plate stands and used them to keep his records in a rotating display. One month, he'd have a weather, a weather report album propped up on his speakers, a brown fedora floating over a stormy cityscape. The next month, it might be Edgar Winter and his creepy sideburns. As a treat for us kids, he'd occasionally throw Michael Jackson on top of his old Dynacos, and I'd dance in front of it while Thriller played through the speakers. I imagine we'd get married someday, and he'd let me wear his leather jacket. In this way, my father's albums became as familiar to my brother and me as our own family photos. Crosby, Stills, and Nash were our distant uncles who loved us, but who never called or wrote. Joni Mitchell was my father's brooding sister who was always off, traveling the world. Hall and Oates were his goofy frat brothers from college. When I was older and finally had the ability to run away from him, my dad would use his records to win me back after we'd fought about my car or the fact that I'd thrown liquid in the trash can, something he really hated. By then, I'd learned to love the music my father had been trying to teach me about for all of those years, and I'd lost my desire to run. I cherished the time I spent with my father, listening to his records and ignoring my mother's repeated calls to dinner. After a yelling match with my dad, I'd be upstairs blowing off some steam by, for instance, throwing more liquid in the trash can, or slicing vegetables on the counter without a cutting board, things that would make him angry. Eventually, I'd hear Culture Club playing from the basement or Peppermint Lump, which was an old 45 that Pete Townsend had recorded with his daughter. I'd cross my arms and hump, trying to stay angry, but then I'd picture my dad dancing alone in the basement with a silly grin on his face, spinning around with his fingers snapping in the air, and my heart would soften. Even when I was a teenager, even in my 20s, He'd spin me around and wave my arms back and forth to the music. I could never stay mad. Thank you, Katie, and welcome to More to the Story. Hi. <laughs> so we're here to talk about creative nonfiction and telling personal stories. Um, Long Play, obviously, is a creative nonfiction essay. So let's start off by hearing a little bit about whether you write other genres and what draws you to writing creative nonfiction. Um, I have written other genres in the past. When I started writing, I was mainly a fiction writer. I wrote some poetry, and I also did a little bit of screenwriting. But in college, I was, you know, going after a creative writing minor, and as part of that, I had to sign up for a memoir writing workshop. and. Before then, I, ha I had always been really interested in writing, but I'd also felt like a bit of a, a, like a bit of a fraud. Like I felt like I was kind of forcing myself in certain ways. And when I was writing memoir, I just really found a voice that was very natural to me. And it just, I felt like everything was clicking. And then once I, left that workshop, I, I mean, since then, I've, I've had a really hard time going back and like translating that same 
strong voice that I found that I felt comfortable with into other genres of writing. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that 100%. I had the same experience in grad school where typically, you you know, a lot of people are all about writing fiction in the next American, the next great American novel. And I was doing a lot of autobiographical fiction writing, the same experience where I just felt like it was totally fake. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as I was able to put that nonfiction label on it, all of a sudden there was some something opened up inside of me where I was I could really be honest and authentic on the page, unlike I was able to do in fiction. Yeah. I don't I, I hope to I'd like to find a way back into back into fiction. I feel like someone who I like look to a lot as a like inspiration is I fell in love with you know Joanne Beard's um The Boys of My Youth and then she went on to write in Zanesville and her voice was still so clear even though in Zanesville was fiction Mm -hmm. and I'm like she did it I could do it (laughs) yeah 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 I often wonder if the key for people like us is it just means our fiction can't be autobiographical. It has to be 100% imagined and made up. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you tried and let me know. <laughs> um, so how did Long Play come about? What was the impetus for writing it? Um, the That story came from, um, I, I say in the essay, I really bullied my parents into doing this, um, participating in this like neighborhood wide yard sale, um, because they're just super, super cluttered people. And I'm like the opposite of that. And, um, so they were really, really resistant to doing it. And then like halfway through it, my dad just brought out all these records that he just was going to get rid of. And, I was really taken aback by it and just like, like felt this like immediate panic of, you know, seeing those records outside of the house and, um, you know, afterwards I was really thinking about, you know, why I got so emotional about it. And um, it, I realized that it was like bringing up all these ideas of like my childhood and, you know, I had just become a new mother. I had like a six month old baby and I was like really starting just at that moment to realize that I was an adult. Like I wasn't, you know, I was still my parents' child, but I wasn't a child anymore. And, um, So it was just bringing up all these ideas and emotions with me about like, like letting go of physical items, but also letting go of these, of these like labels you put on yourself. Like, you know, you grow up with this label of like, I'm a child, you know? And then like, when do you let go of that and say, you know, I'm, I'm an adult now. And I guess it was kind of about that for me, um, but also about just, you know, letting go of this, the, these objects that were so attached to, you know, these memories of my childhood. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to ask about the object component in a little bit, but I, I love this concept of like reflecting on your childhood and having an object that's sort of tied to your childhood that brings up all of these memories. Um, mm-hmm. There's this one image you have in the piece in the in the section you read that I find is so vivid and I love it. It just kind of stays with me. It's your dad is reading the record sleeves to you as if they were storybooks and mm-hmm. it's so endearing. Um, it's the perfect image of a father who is eager to share something with his daughter and yet you weren't that interested mm-hmm. in the way a child would be if it were a storybook. So. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about how long did you did it take you to realize this and what did that realization teach you about yourself? Well, I once um I got I don't know, I don't know exactly what age I was, but I have so many memories of growing up and you know kind of we would all poke fun at my dad and you know, that he was just like this like boring, you know, music nerd. And um, he, you know, he was just like always trying to talk to us about things that we were really interested in, whether it be like the music or he also loved talking to us about like computers, which I like really wasn't interested in. But um, I think that as I got older, I realized that you know, he was, he, he was, he was trying to, you know, share something with my brother and I, that was also, that was interesting to him. He like wanted to connect with us in a way that wasn't like, you know, he was never a dad who was going to come and like play Barbies with me. He wasn't like a dad who was going to like let me do his makeup. He he wanted to find a way to like, you know, connect with me in a way that was like really important to him. And um you know, when I got older, I realized that my dad really had like that connection over the music with me more so than with my brother. Like I write about how I would get stuck in that basement. And I don't remember my brother being stuck down there as much as I was. And I think that that's because like, even though I wasn't at the time so interested in the music, like I was really interested in his attention. Like I just wanted to be, you know, around him. And I guess, I guess like hear whatever it was he had to say, whether or not it was interesting to me. So I, so I just like, I value that bond that we have so much and, you know, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I sat around and listened for all those years. I think that's really telling that now you know now in reflection you're mm-hmm. understanding it wasn't so much about the music as it was just that attention from your dad which i think all young girls mm-hmm. crave um and so later in the essay when he's working you know he's brings the records out to sell at the yard sale you write um quote i felt that my father was doing the impossible taking away something that i thought was a permanent in our family as he was my father was apparently oblivious to the impression that he had that he and his records had made on me 
and all those impressionable hours I'd logged listening to the band hadn't registered in his mind as formative as formative to my own personality. He didn't know what these records symbolized. Um, so what, I'm wondering if you have any understanding about your dad and whether he really did understand the, the importance and the symbolism of those records and why do you think he reacted the way that he did? I still don't know. I still don't really know the answer to that question. If he fully understands um, what I really got out of, you know, the experience of sharing, like sharing that passion with me, sharing that music with me. And um, I think like something... I've been thinking about a lot lately is I feel like as a writer, we're asked all the time, like, where does your inspiration come from? And that's always been a really difficult question for me because I didn't really come from a creative household. Like I didn't see my parents reading. Um, we didn't play music in our house. It wasn't like a super creative environment, but I had that music and my father and just like seeing this like, super intense passion like that he had for this music like he was all about you know the steely dan and he, like we would talk about steely dan in our house like they were god you know and i feel like that's where a lot of my personality comes from and just like growing up in that and having like that music influence me and seeing you know just like a passion for any kind of art from my parents and so I think like I feel like he does I feel like my father didn't really understand that and I think he um how he reacted was I, I mean he was just surprised because he was like, I thought I, he probably thought like, man, Katie's going to be proud of me because I'm just moving stuff out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That I mean, was going to kind of get to that because you have this dichotomy yeah. between you, you write that you bullied your parents into cleaning out their home and having the yard sale. Mm -hmm. So you're like encouraging them to get rid of stuff. And yet you, you're the one who was hesitant to get rid of the records um, so you have this internal conflict. How did you ultimately reconcile that reaction with yourself? I mean, I was being stubborn and I knew that I was being stubborn about it at the time. Um, and I do recognize that, that, you know, there are some things that can be kept for sentimental value and that was something for me, you know, I would have thrown out, you know, a lot, a lot of other things in their house before I personally chose to get rid of that. Because like I said, like they were to me, they were like our family photos. Like I wouldn't have ever suggested that my parents throw out our family photos. And so, um, I think that at the end, once I got some distance from it, I did, I could recognize that I'll still have those memories. Um, and that bond with my dad with or without the records but 
at, at the time I was just being really stubborn, I think. And, <laughs> you know. Well, good, good thing your stubbornness led to a really great essay. It's like, it's like seeing, you know, probably like seeing your parents like throw out this like special like teddy bear that you had that you like slept with every night, you know, like, you know, you don't need the teddy bear, but it's just like this moment of like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Like that's special to me, you know? Right. Right. And I love how the music and records symbolize the bond mm-hmm. that you have with your dad. Um, and then, of course, you feel like that the bond itself is getting tossed out with the records at the yard sale, mm-hmm. um, which I think speaks to that universal theme of getting attached to items for sentimental, nostalgic reasons instead of finding ways to preserve the memory without the object mm-hmm. Um kind of what you're alluding to a little bit. So you you seem to come to this realization at the end of the essay when you see your dad continuing to bond with your daughter over his music mm-hmm. now on CDs instead of records. Mm-hmm. So um, have you been able to process this and separate the memory of bonding with your dad um, from the object itself and... What have you since done with the records? Because you do write in the essay that you you take the records home. Mm-hmm. You don't let them stay at the yard sale. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious about, have you found new ways for preserving the bond and the memory, like, beyond the object of the records? Um, I think I definitely have. Um, my dad, you know, my dad and I still have that bond for sure. But what's more, you know, more meaningful than that to me even is seeing um the way I, I'm like see I'm like reliving my own childhood again through my daughters because um he's just like he's the same guy you know whether it's you know whether it's the albums or you know now on CD when we're when we go over to visit um my parents' house and I'm with my girls, he, you know, he brings them down into the basement and he like buys them CDs that he's like, oh, I know they're gonna love this. And, and, um, you know, they're, it's like I said, it's just like my own reliving my own childhood again, because they're down there and we're like, come upstairs, it's time to eat. And he's like, no, no, but I've got to, I got to play them just two more songs. We'll be right up. And if we're spending the night, they're up like a half an hour past their bedtime and they're just down there, you know, listening to tunes. So I have definitely moved past like the place where I like, I feel like I'm losing something. Um, because I mean, it's still, you know, the tradition lives on, but, um, I had the seat, the albums did come home with me and I do still have them. I have not played them once. So I think, that, <laughs> um, so I think that it's, it's probably, I've been thinking like it is time to like really for real, let go of them because, um, yeah, they just, collecting dust right now (laughs) well and maybe this is the type of thing where you keep like 10 of your all-time favorites or something as a memento instead of I I don't know how many did you how many are there I think the ones because I did I mean he's he still has like some he has like the ultra you know 
you know, special collection, the all-time favorites at home he did keep. Um, and then I weeded out some that I just didn't really care about. And so I ended up taking home probably about 80 Okay. 80 yeah. or 90. At least it's not in the hundreds. Right. No, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a place for that. But. Yeah. And so your dad now, is he kind of accumulating CDs in the same way that he accumulated records? This is, this is I find that interesting since we're now definitely into the digital age in terms of music and media. Yeah. He's actually like, he's doing the MP3s and... Um, he still does buy a lot of CDs, but his CD collection is getting kind of insane now also. Um, oh, my gosh. So, it's so maybe someday your daughters are going to be the ones rescuing <laughs> the CDs from the yard sale. <laughs> the, the CDs, don't, they don't have like this, quite the same. He does kind of like set them up kind of on top of... Um, like on top of a shelf now, but they don't have the same like visual quality. You know? Okay. <laughs> so, okay. That's, that's, a little, that's really interesting. Yeah. So um, one thing I really love to talk about when we're talking about creative nonfiction and personal storytelling is how our stories can affect others when we take the risk and share. Um, so have you had that experience with this story or others where you sharing it has affected someone in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely with this story, um, I'm, you know, people are always telling me, you know, I cried at the end. Um, I think it's, it's like an emotional and really touching moment at the end, um, especially for people who, I, I, I mean, it like, would it would probably you know people could um even if they don't have children could probably relate to it in some way because you know memories of their parents or something like that but i think like really especially for people who have children um just like the idea of you know the that like sweet bond and you know that that we share um so definitely a lot of criers and (laughs) and yeah yeah and what what about your dad has did he does did he read it and have a reaction he read it and he had a reaction he's like not really an emotional dude so I think (laughs) I kind of feel like in you know he's like this guy who will um read it himself and like maybe even like shed a tear or like feel really touched by it but then when you ask him about it he'll be like well that that's embarrassing you know like you're, you're, you're embarrassing me. when I showed it to him I actually gave it to him as a birthday gift because that um that issue of under the gum tree came out just like two days or something before his birthday so I saved it and gave it to him and you know had it like bookmarked on the page and he opened it and his like face just kind of like fell like oh but then at the same time you know he acts like he doesn't like it but then at the same time he like leaves copies like you know of the story on like his co-workers desks and things so I know that he's 
really, you know, proud, you know, proud he feels. Oh, that's know. kind of cute. It's like, here, check out what my daughter wrote about me. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he's just like that kind of guy. He doesn't, he doesn't want to admit it, but he, um, I, like, I know that he was touched by it. So. Well, I think that's very sweet. Um, So are you working on anything new right now? Any new pieces of creative nonfiction in the works? Um, I've actually just started. I went through like a pretty dry period. Um, You know, I stay at home with my daughters and I've been really focusing a lot more on teaching, you know, teaching writing right now um, is definitely something, you know, else that I'm really you know, excited about right now. And so I was going through a pretty dry period, but, um, I've started, you know, just like in the really early stages of, you know, outlining and creating some new work. Um, so hopefully soon I'll be working Mm -hmm. on some new material. Okay. What about, um, what are you reading? Anything interesting in terms of creative nonfiction or fiction like what you know I, I always like to ask what other writers are reading um oh my gosh what am I reading I'm like I'm always reading like five things at once so I <laughs> yeah I know me too <laughs> so um I've been reading like I I've been on this strange kick of reading a lot of like comedians like com- like comedians memoirs like I read Steve Martin um his memoir and so I've been reading a lot of um you know I I do use like a certain amount of humor in my own writing and so I guess I I guess I thought like let's just go to the source let's go to comedians and um you know just like picking up on how they use you know their like timing of like comedic phrasing and so I've been reading a lot like that and um beyond that I've been reading I'm trying to think of the last awesome thing that I really loved I don't even know what it was right now (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was something yeah I'm not sure. Well, I think the comedian memoirs is a good route. I mean, everyone can use a little bit more humor in their writing, right? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, like, really great, like, I like I think, you know, like, David Sedaris is a great, you know, writer to read for, like, you know, comedy and his, like, phrasing and everything. But, um, yeah, I've just been reading comedy memoirs. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, Katie, thank you so much for being on More to the Story. Where can people find you and your work online? At katherinesargent.com. Awesome. And I will link up to that in the show notes for this episode. And you can find more about Katie on online at her website. That's great. So, Katie, thank you. Thank you again for being here. It was great to chat with you about long play and creative nonfiction and writing. And I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. Next time on More to the Story, I talk with another Pushcart Prize nominee about what it was like that one time she shaved her head. 
and no, she didn't have cancer. To subscribe to this podcast, go to iTunes.com slash more to the story. And while you're there, leave a review. I love feedback. I love hearing from you and it helps with the ratings. More to the story was produced out of my home office in Sacramento, California with technical and audio support from my brother, TJ Santoro. Jeremy Marin, yes, my husband, he wrote and performed the theme song. You can find us online at moretothestorypodcast.com. Follow Under the Gumtree on Twitter at UnderGumtree. I'm Jana Marlies Marin, at just Jana on Twitter. Jana Marlies everywhere else. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of More to the Story. Tell me a story. Tell me truth. I want to know what happened to you. The stars are all out and the night is so blue. Tell me a story and I'll tell mine to you. Sitting on the balcony, drinking a bar wine, talking about the The stars are